So I have a confession to make right here at the start that I really don't like waiting. Okay, I'm just gonna say, I'm just gonna lay it out there. I really don't like waiting. Could be a family thing as we always open our gifts Christmas Eve, which is what we did. My dad, in fact, he had this idea that if you're not early, you're late. And I've inherited that as well, much to my daughter's dislike. Waiting, we all do it. And my guess is that we all have varying degrees of tolerance for it. And it's obvious our culture hates waiting. I mean, consider this. Nowadays, on your phone, there's, you can have an app for your favorite fast food place. You can order that food through the app for your fast food place. Not to go inside and pick it up. Oh, no, 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 no. Right? That would take too much waiting but you can pull up outside to the reserve spot just for you, and they will then come out and give it to you because they are waiting for you, not you waiting for them in the reserve parking spot. My guess is many of you, like me, we hate waiting, especially when we don't know what we're waiting for. The light turns green and nothing happens. And we just sit there. And the longer we sit there, the more blood pressure increases. Or we're in the checkout at Jewel, and we're in that line, and then that person up front of us, three, four people in front of us are just chatting away with the checker. And then all of a sudden, we see that dreaded help light flip on. Yeah, you've been there with me. But we also know the more serious side and pain-filled waiting experience. The waiting on the test results for the biopsy. The waiting to hear the outcome of the surgery. The waiting for for the passing of a loved one from this life to the next because they've just been released into hospice. It's this kind of waiting that if we're honest, really causes us, many of us, to wonder, why is God waiting to do something. Oftentimes this causes us to think that in the midst of our waiting, God is not present and we're not at work in our lives when the minutes and the days and the months and sometimes literally the years pass by. The reality is this is not new. People have wrestled with this through the ages. And as we approach the story of Lazarus today, I want us to frame it in a formational way in a way that creates space for the the spirit who have access to our hearts and lives to shape our souls through formational points. And formational points are truths that help us more intentionally live into God's way of life for us here and now. Formational points help us to better understand in a more holistic way who God is, who we are, what is our relation to God and ourselves and others. Formational points also cause tension because they force us to raise questions and see how our lives currently lived may be at odds with the life that Jesus lived and invites us into. So appreciate how for this Lenten season, we are sitting with, we are waiting, we are focusing on this powerful story of the Gospels we were reminded last week that the story of Lazarus is not a sermon illustration. 
It's not a, a humorous antidote. It's not a formula for feeling good about the life of faith. It's nothing less than a gritty, sometimes raw, and gloriously real-life demonstration of spiritual transformation. And because of that, I love how we are sitting with this story. This series forces us to wait, to sit with, to realize it's not about us getting through the story, but it's about the story getting through to us. Far too often we read one passage only to get to the next. But may I challenge us this morning not to read for information, but to read towards transformation. And as we do this this morning, as we sit and wait with this passage, we will discover that waiting on Jesus is never a passive experience. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into our gospel. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your invitation to come to you this morning, to wait with you, to listen to you, to have more of you in our life here. So Lord, as we journey through this story, these several verses this morning, may we be different because we are waiting upon you in the midst and we're finding a different way to live this life here and now. In the name I pray, amen. If you have a Bible or one of the pew Bibles, you can open up to John 11. We're gonna start at verse one. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who, pour, who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now as we enter into this story, we find out that we're among some of the closest friends of Jesus here on earth. John makes sure we understand and feel this closeness of their friendship by pointing out this is Mary, the sister of Lazarus, that Mary who threw away social taboos, who threw away reason in some degree and poured out a perfume at the cost of a year's wages on the feet of Jesus and then took it a step further and let her hair down and wiped Jesus' feet with her own hair. It's that Mary. We also see here Mary and Martha understood how much Jesus does care for them and maybe perhaps tries to leverage that relationship to get Jesus to them a little bit sooner than later. And listen to the message again. Maybe it went something like just Jesus, Lazarus, your dear friend, the one you laugh with to all hours of night when you come over. Jesus, the one you pull all those practical jokes with on the 12 when you're over. I love some of those jokes you do together. Jesus, that one, that one you love is sick. Doesn't look good, Jesus. Stop what you're doing and come now, Jesus. I obviously can't say for sure what their motive was. But perhaps that's more of a reflection of us or maybe just honest myself and how I tend to act towards God in my waiting. We never say it bluntly, but we believe God owes us something. And I would argue that the more tension we feel in our waiting is perhaps relative 
to how much we believe that. Just a theory, but it's one of those formational points that I've been sitting with as I've been preparing for this morning. Whatever it was happening, it's important for us to understand this deep relational connection. We'll come back to it in a little bit. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No. It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Notice this formational point for us. There was a purpose to the waiting. And one of the purposes in the waiting in this instance was to give God glory. Now, glory is one of those words that we hear an awful lot in this kind of space. We hear it probably every week. We sing it. We say it. But do we really know what it means? Glory, doxa in the Greek means God's weighty reputation, his importance, his essential character and attributes. And again, when used of God, glory speaks to God's splendor, his fame, a reality check of who, truly understanding of who Jesus is. We now lay over our context of where we are in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, glory takes another step forward in that, in, the go- in this Gospel especially. Glory is the display of God's essential character in the person and work of Jesus. So in other words, as we wait, when we wait well, we are enabled to understand more fully who Jesus is. And by understanding more fully who Jesus is, we glorify God. We put on display God's essential character to anyone and everyone around us. As we wait well, we offer our minds and our hearts over to Jesus to shape and transform Waiting with Jesus, waiting on Jesus is never passive. It's active. If we are waiting, we may not know why, but we can know towards what end. Ultimately waiting for God's glory to be revealed. This happens when we move from a posture of wringing of hands, of worry and desperation and doubt and fear, and we begin to turn over control in the waiting to God where our hands are now in a posture of receiving in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of the pain, anything and everything that God would have us receive. I continue to wrestle and grow in my own understanding and acceptance of this through the process of my own father's life and death because, again, this is hard for us. It doesn't happen automatically. But for me, I had waited my whole life for my dad to gain victory over alcoholism. Never happened. In fact, alcoholism was a contributing factor in his death. Yet in spite of this, God has been glorified each time I have been able to keep my promise I made to my dad on his deathbed. The day before we connected my, disconnected my dad from life support, I went to the hospital by myself, much to my wife's surprise. And I promised my dad I would share his story, the good and the bad, I would share his story. And it has been in this sharing that I have been changed and shaped as well. As I very much am still in the process of forgiving my dad. 17 years, 11 years now, 
since his passing. God is glorified in this because there hasn't been a time that I haven't shared this story that people haven't come up to me afterwards and said, Eric, thank you for sharing. I've been in that same situation. I am in that same situation. Hearing this gives me hope that forgiveness is possible. It happened to me, no, it happened to me today in between the services. I had a number of people from first service come up to me with tears in their eyes saying, Eric, because I heard that today, God is at work, I know it. I'm recovering that belief. Through even difficult waiting, we continue to realize that waiting on Jesus is never a passive experience. Verse 5. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Verse 5 might be one of the most helpful formational points to keep close to our hearts and mind in the midst of our waiting. Hear it again. So although Jesus, say with me, loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, Jesus stayed where he was for the next two days. Did you hear that? Let me say it another way to really have opportunity to capture our hearts and minds. Even though it seems like God is taking a long, 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 long time to answer that prayer, to provide that job, to heal that marriage, to give you peace. Even though it seems like God is keeping you waiting, it does not mean, it does not mean God does not love you does not mean that. Something else is at play from God's perspective. Something more is happening than we are presently aware of. Make no mistake, God is always active and present. Remember that the love of God in Christ is a refining love. It's a perfecting love. And this imagery is throughout the scriptures. God's love truly says, I love you just the way you are. It truly does say that. Yet God loves us beyond the way you are. And God's love continues to say, continues to call to us, I love you too much to leave you the way you are. Dallas Willard mentions, and reminds us, that sometimes we must wait for God to do as we ask because the answer involves changes in other people, or even ourselves. And that kind of change always takes time. Change takes time. Change takes waiting. Waiting takes trust and belief in that Jesus really does know what he's doing. He really does. The more we can embrace this, the more we move into a stabilizing belief that God is truly at work in love in our lives and our behalf for his glory. So we wait, knowing and believing it is in our best interest not to get out of anything prematurely. There once a little boy was out in his backyard and he found this caterpillar just mesmerized by. He brings it inside, puts it in a jar with some leaves and some sticks and looked at that thing every day. And sure enough, one day that caterpillar formed a cocoon around itself. And the little boy was so excited because he had learned in school that what happens next, a butterfly comes out. 
So sure enough, a few days later, it happened. A butterfly started poking out of the cocoon. And it seemed to take forever for this little boy as he waited for the butterfly to come out in full form and spread its wings in, in all its beauty. But there came a point where the little boy got nervous and watching and waiting for this butterfly to come out. It seemed like the butterfly just got stuck and gave up. So the little boy thought he would help the process along and he got a pair of scissors and he ever so gently clipped the cocoon. And sure enough, the butterfly rolled out of that cocoon. He had this fat little body and these little wings and the little boy just stared at it, waiting for the wings to open up and take shape. But it never happened. The butterfly spent the rest of its life walking around with a swelling body and, and, and shriveled wings. And the little boy didn't realize that the butterfly was supposed to struggle. In fact, the butterfly struggle, it's its way coming out of the cocoon. It's its way of pushing the fluid from its body into its wings to form the wings. And without allowing the time and the waiting through the struggle, the butterfly would never, ever fly. And we grow in our realization that waiting for Jesus is never a passive experience. Verse 7. Finally, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Finally, now's the time. Finally, it's almost like Jesus is like, okay, we're good, let's go. And there's this anticipation of something more about to happen. And we all know this type of anticipation of wanting the vacation to start, the day off to happen, the guests to leave, the preacher to stop preaching. Finally, this word perhaps also enables us to understand something greater is going on here. And to see it, we need to talk about a different understanding of time itself. Reality is one of the tensions in our waiting comes from our typical way we engage time and the way we see Jesus engaging time. In the New Testament, there are two words for time. The first one is going to probably sound very familiar, chronos. Chronos, obviously we get our word chronology from it. It's focused on the hands of the clock, the days in the calendar, months of the year. Western society is transfixed, it's controlled to an extreme fault by this type of time. It's under the focus on this, it's the undue focus on this, that we many times say in exasperation, finally. The second type of time mentioned is kairos. Kairos time is a decisive moment of time in time. It is the fullness of time, as the scriptures say. There is awareness that something larger is at play beyond the time clock and the days of the calendar. In Cairo's time, we see each moment as rich and pregnant with the presence of God, that God in, in any time can do something amazing because he's always there with us and we're eager to see it. Now is the time, finally. You notice how the, this fullness of time works its way, weaves its way through some of the scriptures. Galatians 4, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. Mark 1, The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Or Romans 5, 
at just the right time Christ died. Jesus lived in Cairo's time. Jesus was in tune to how God was working in his life and those around him. As a result, Jesus was never in a hurry. He didn't need to be because there was always an awareness, an act of waiting in his life to the voice of the Father, an anticipation for what the Father wanted him to do and when it needed to be done. As a result, Jesus lived a purposeful, surrendered life that did exactly what God the Father wanted. Again, exactly when it needed to be done. We have the same opportunity, the choice to do the same, to move beyond chronos to the activity, uh, to actively wait upon God in all the fullness of time. Henry Nouwen expands this idea of actively waiting for us and brings it home. The secret of waiting is the faith that the seed has been planted, that something has begun. Active waiting means to be present fully to the moment in the conviction that something is happening. A waiting person is a patient person. The word patience means the willingness to stay where we are and live the situation out to the full in the belief that something hidden there will manifest itself to us. And we continue to grow in our realization that waiting on Jesus is never a passive experience. So as I shared at the beginning today, when you sit, when you wait with this passage, there is a richness here that comes to life. So as we close, I want us to take these formational points that we've gathered, that we've looked at, and I want us to hear them in light of what the scriptures tell us and encourage us from Isaiah. Yet the Lord yearns, sorry, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Blessed are all who wait for him. So as a result, Guess what I want to have us do in response to this today? You got it. Wait. I want us to wait. I want, I want you to, to discern in your waiting, in the midst of your life, is it at odds with the waiting that we've seen that is transformational as Jesus exhibits it? In doing so, we, we keep our eyes and hearts close to the understanding that waiting on Jesus is never a passive act. And because of that, I want to give you three suggestions to wait actively. The first suggestion is to prayerfully reflect on where was the Spirit poking, prodding, convicting, encouraging you today through the story. Even perhaps for some, perhaps all you need to do is just receive that you truly are loved by God and come back to that. Because my guess is with a group this size, many are waning in that, in your waiting. You're beginning to doubt that, God, there's no way God can love me because I've been waiting too long for this. Others have forgotten it many months, many years ago. 
And you need to come back again and says, no, I do believe this. So where is the spirit moving and actively prodding and poking you? Sit with that. Second thing is, is uh, I would like you to do as you actively wait is to use our Lenten devotionals that we've been releasing. We released one Ash Wednesday, and now every Monday during Lent, you will receive another Lenten devotional. You can go online to the website right there. Or you can sign up via text to receive it right to your, your phone. These are designed not to speed read through. These are designed to help all of us to wait, to slow down, and to receive in different ways the story of Lazarus. These are meant to be listened to. So as you listen, you will again be reflected back to the story of Lazarus. And in that reflecting back, we will enable you through different spiritual practices to engage with what God is doing in the midst of your waiting. All of these can be done very easily more than once, daily, in fact, if you do it. Lastly, final suggestion, take part in our Slowing to Hear retreat next Saturday, March 3rd. The retreat will help you practice waiting with Jesus in truly a formational way. In community, with scripture, with worship, with prayer, with silence, through the course of the day. When was the last time you set aside a day simply to wait with Jesus? nothing like it. I encourage you to take advantage of this opportunity. Registration for this will close probably tomorrow night, Tuesday morning. So think about that. Joining us for that experience. Imagine if we truly lived into the reality that waiting on Jesus is never a passive experience. Imagine the joy we could experience if we waited for Jesus, truly believing God loved us in the midst of our waiting. Imagine the love we could express if we waited for Jesus, not with a wringing of hands, but with a posture of openness to all Jesus desires to do in our lives in the midst of the waiting. Imagine the peace we could exhibit in living beyond the face of the clock and into the fullness of Kairos time. Imagine the hope we could embrace if we waited truly believing and experiencing God to be glorified. Imagine waiting on Jesus as never a passive experience.